Hey, this is Pastor Arm, and I want to thank you for joining me today for the Activation Church podcast. We are here so that people can activate their life in Christ, and I believe this message is going to help you go further than ever before. Check it out. If you have your Bible, turn it to 2 Samuel, the 11th chapter. I'm excited about the topic that we're going to get into today because for the past two weeks, we've been talking about going from worry to worship, but today I kind of want to look at what does it look like if we accidentally slip from our position of worship into worry? What happens to our life when we leave the place that God has called us to be in his presence through our worship and start leaning into our worry? So 2 Samuel, the 11th chapter, verse 1 says, In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle... David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. It's important for you to understand what's happening here. The Bible is letting us know that it's the time of the year when kings should go to battle. But David decides instead of going out to battle, he's going to hang out at the house. Maybe he's tired. Maybe he's worn out. Maybe he's gotten comfortable with his life and feels like other people can take care of it. Now it's their responsibility. I'm just going to stay at home, binge watch some Netflix, drink some soda pop. They go, I'll stay. And because David made the decision to not go to battle when it was time for him to go to battle, he ends up being where he's not supposed to be. The question I want to ask this morning is, how many of you have ever been somewhere that you should have never been at all? I mean, it can be a physical place that you've gone to that, you know, like before you even go there, you know, man, I probably should not be at this place, but I'm going anyway just to make sure, <laughs> you know. It can be a situation that you've gotten yourself into. Whether intentionally or accidentally, you landed in a situation that you should have never been in. Sometimes we can allow our mind to take us places that we should not go. Sometimes we can allow our emotions to take us to an unhealthy place, a place that we should not be. Sometimes we can allow our words to land us in a situation that we should not be in. How many of you have ever allowed your mouth to take you somewhere you don't need to be? Your, your mouth has written checks that your fanny cannot cash. This has happened to me a few times in my life, by the way. There was a guy in sixth grade, I didn't even know the guy, never met him, and had never really seen him up close. So I didn't realize how big he was, John, when I was running my mouth from the other side of the school. One of my friends thought that this guy should know what I was saying about him. Next thing I know, I'm pinned up against the locker, you know, because this mouth took me somewhere that I shouldn't be. David is somewhere that he should not be. And verse 2 starts off by saying, it happened. Somebody say it happened. 
what I want you to understand is when you slip away from where you should be into a place that you should not be, things happen. There's a result. There's a consequence. I've said this multiple times, but every decision you make takes you in a direction and lands you in a destination. If you uh, have been watching the news lately, you've seen the turmoil that's taking place in Israel. How many of you are familiar with what's going on in Israel right now? It's a terrible situation, but what I want you to understand is what they are dealing with currently started thousands of years ago with a man named Abraham who allowed himself to go somewhere that he should have never been. God told Abraham, I'm going to give you a son with your wife, Sarah. Time starts ticking and clicking away. Abraham and Sarah start getting anxious. Maybe God's not going to be faithful to his promise. Maybe we should intervene. They started worrying about it a little bit. And whenever we worry, we step into a lot of different mess in our life. And so they thought, we'll fix it. And so Abraham goes and has relationship with a woman named Hagar. She gets pregnant, has a son named Ishmael. Well, God's word is proven true, and Sarah has a son named Isaac. And now those boys have been at war for thousands of years. And what's happening in Israel right now is because those two boys think that the promised land belongs to them. I want you to catch the gravity of the damage that can be caused when you are not where you are supposed to be, either mentally, physically, emotionally, or verbally. We can take ourselves into places that not only damage us, but can damage future generations. Some of you are fighting battles today because of decisions that were made by the generations that have gone before you. The damage they caused is the damage that haunts you every day of your life. Somebody say, it happens. Yes. Now I want to look at what has happened to David, and I want to see how this can kind of gear us to keep things from happening to us, and also showing us how to respond when things do happen. Because no matter how good we try to be, we're all humans. We all have flesh, and we all end up stepping in the wrong direction at some point or another. Am I the only one up here that, you know, I love Jesus, but I also find my own way sometimes? I, I've damaged myself. I've damaged others, and I need to know what to do with this damage that I've caused. So verse 2 in 2 Samuel 11 says, it happened. Somebody say it happened. Late one afternoon, when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house, that he saw. Somebody say he saw. There's a few points in this passage that I'm going to emphasize, and the first one is he saw. He simply saw. So it happens that he was walking on the roof of his house, and he saw from the roof, a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. And David sent, somebody say David sent, and inquired about the woman 
And one said, is that not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanliness. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived. And she sent and told David, I'm pregnant. Somebody say, uh-oh. <laughs> uh-oh. Things have escalated very quickly in David's life. I remember when I was a kid, my mom took me to the pet store, and I wanted a hamster. And so her being a loving mom, she said, I'm going to buy you a hamster, but I'm not just going to get you a hamster. You've got two brothers. They're getting hamsters, too. Everybody's getting hamsters. Hamsters all around. She had an Oprah Winfrey moment. You get a hamster, and you get a hamster, and you get a hamster. Everybody's got hamsters. So we had three hamsters in our home. Now, what we did not know that we later found out is that two of the hamsters were females, and one of them was a very happy male. Came home one day, he's in the corner of his cage smoking a cigarette. And for those of you who are not aware, the gestation period of a hamster is between 16 to 20 days. And they can restart this process within a matter of weeks. We went from three to many. Too many hamsters in our house. We could not give them away quick enough, John. They kept on having a good time. They're partying. That male hamster was doing his thing. Babies everywhere. One day they decided this cage is not big enough for us. We have developed an army. And it's time for us to take control. This family is smaller than us. Let's go. And they broke out. I don't know how many there were, but they broke out. They never came back. Late at night at our house, you'd hear scratching inside the walls of the hamsters. My father sold that house a few years ago, and I'm sure the new owners are still (laughs) finding hamster remains everywhere. It started off manageable with just three hamsters, but it escalated quickly. What we see happening with David here starts off small. He just sees something that he should not see. It was manageable. But because he did not deal with it, what he saw, he sent for. What he sent for, he took hold of. He slipped, and then he spiraled. What did he see? He saw something he desired. He sent for it. He inquired about it. He started asking questions about it. He started fantasizing about what he saw. And as soon as he started allowing that to be birthed within his heart, he then said, bring her here. He slips. But it's not just the slip that happened. What I want you to understand is many times when we slip, it'll cause us to spiral. Because now it's not just the sin that we committed It's the sins we're about to commit to keep anyone else from knowing the sin that we just stepped into. See, the problem is, 
This girl Bathsheba was married to a guy named Uriah. And he's out to war, which means he can't be home to impregnate his wife. So David right now is thinking, okay, this has all fingers pointing at me. I've got to do something about it. So he says, bring Uriah home. He tells Uriah, buddy, you've been working hard, man. Go, go enjoy some time at home. But Uriah was such a man of integrity, he refused to go home while other men were out there fighting. So David's like, okay, well, let's get him hammered. So he starts throwing out shots of golden schlager. Everybody's having a good time. He's thinking, surely Uriah's going to get hammered. He's going to go home. He's going to sleep with his wife. She's going to be pregnant. Oh, congratulations, Uriah. You're going to be a dad. Uriah gets drunk, but he doesn't go home. Now David is worrying. A man who is a worshiper. This man wrote many of the Psalms that we read in Scripture. This man is what is known through Scripture as a man after God's own heart. If anyone understood worship and how to worship is David. But now instead of worshiping, he's worrying. He's trying to fix it. He's got some damage, and he's digging himself deeper and deeper into the damage. He can't figure it out. He's spiraling. He's losing control. And so he says, we need to have Uriah killed. It started with what he saw, and it ended in murder. Why? Because he was somewhere he should not have been doing what he should not have been doing. He saw something that he should not have seen. He sent for something that he should have let go, and he slipped into something that he should have run from. He saw, he sent, he slipped, he spiraled. That's how sin creeps into our life. We see we see something that we desire. It's intriguing to us. We start sending for it in our mind and in our emotions until we slip up, take hold of it, and then we spiral. What I want you to understand this morning is seeing by itself is not sin. Somebody say seeing is not sin. Seeing. See, if I can learn to see and stop, I have not moved into sin. You as a human being cannot control what you see and hear all the time. You can't even control what's going to come into your mind all the time. Have you ever had a thought just hit you out of the blue? Like you, you were nowhere near that thought. You're minding your own business, thought pops up, and you think, hmm, that would be good. At that moment, you have not sinned. It becomes sin as you meditate on it. Because as you meditate on it, you'll gravitate towards it. And once you gravitate towards it, you're going to take hold of it. And that is when it becomes a damaging thing in your life. How do you know, Pastor? How do you know that temptation is not sin? One, we know that Jesus was tempted in every way that we are tempted, the Bible says, yet without sin. Another reason we know is found right here. In James, the first chapter, verse 14, the Bible says, but each person is tempted. That means you, and you, and you, and you, 
and me and the people watching online, we all have temptation. Can we just be honest with one another this morning to say that there are things that tempt us <laughs> and they come in a variety pack? It's not like a one-size-fits-all. See, Kim, what gets you may not get me. What gets me may not get you. But we are each tempted, the Bible says, when we are lured and enticed by our own desire. What does that mean? We see it, but then we start to fantasize about it. We start to think about it. We allow it to settle into our heart. Then the Bible says, verse 15, then that desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. In other words, when you give your desire time to incubate, it will produce. Somebody say it will produce. And it all starts with desire. It all starts with the seeing and then the sending. That's why we have to be very careful what we allow into our minds. As soon as something comes into your mind that is contrary to the word of God, you've got to learn to shut it off. Because you may think, man, this thing's small. It's just a thought. It's just something I looked at. It's just something I heard. But if you allow that to transfer into your heart where it starts messing with your emotions, give it long enough, and it will manifest in your life. I don't care what it is. And, and that can work for good and bad in your life. If there are good things that you allow to become desires in your life, you'll be drawn to those good things. But if there are negative things that you allow to settle into your heart, eventually you're going to be drawn to those negative things. That's why we have to be careful. Somebody say, I have to be careful. The Bible says in Philippians 4, verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. What are we talking about? We're talking about worry and anxiety. Don't, don't allow yourself to slip into a place of worry because when you slip into worry, you make stupid decisions. So right off the bat, he's saying, do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasseth all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Are you catching that? Then he goes on to say, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Why? Because proper focus will create proper position. When we move in worry, we will step out of position. But if we can bring ourselves into worship, understanding that we become like whatever we worship. Did you know that? Right. I was reading in the Psalms this morning where it's talking about different idols, false gods that people have set up. And it says, these idols, they do not see, they do not speak, they do not hear, they have no ability, and you become just like them. That's what I'm paraphrasing. 
In other words, whatever we worship, we become like, because that's what we're magnifying in our sight. That's why worship is so important. Because if I worship and stay rooted in his word, which is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path, and I'm in prayer and communication with him, then through his word and by the power of his spirit, he's going to order my steps and direct my paths into the place that I should go. He actually has the ability to lead me away from temptation. He has the ability to take me into the place where I find his favor, his mercy, his goodness, his blessings. And that's what he wants to do in our life. But as long as we are seeing and entertaining, we'll start sending, receiving, and spiraling. Digging deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper until we get to this place where we feel like we're so damaged that we're lost. I don't know if you've ever felt that way in your life, like you, you've done so much damage and so much damage has been done to you that you feel like there's no way to recover from it. And, and I want you to understand that that is absolutely 100% what sin does. Sin does damage us. Turn to the person next to you and say, sin does damage. David's response to what he saw damaged him. Sin damages us emotionally. It produces guilt. It produces shame, depression. It will steal any bit of joy that you have. You, you went after it in the moment thinking it was going to give you joy. But at the end of the road, you don't find that joy and satisfaction. You find the death and the damage. It'll damage our relationships. It'll damage our perspective. Because now, instead of seeing God as someone I can run to, I see him as someone that I need to run from. I see it happen all the time in church. There are people who will give their life to Christ, and when they first start off, man, they're on fire for God. It's like a pendulum. They go almost from this extreme to this extreme. And they're on this extreme for a while. You know, I don't listen to the radio. I don't watch television. I keep my hair, you know. They're, they're like far, far, far this way. But what happens is when they slip, because we all slip, They get damaged, and now they think because of the damage, they've got to fix themselves before they can come back to God. And that's how many of us feel. And many of us who were raised with religion feel that way. I've got to fix me before God will receive me. You know, I've got a gift and a talent. I would really love to serve in the church, but before I serve in the church, there's some things I need to work out. Let me say this to you. That's backwards. We come to Jesus as we are. We come to Jesus with everything that we have. We bring it to him understanding that he is the only one that can bring healing and restoration to our life. But the damage of sin produces guilt and shame and condemnation. 
We forget verses that says things like, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because the damage. Once you open the door of damage, the devil can come in and start playing with your mind. Start telling you things that are not true. And he will pull you deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into your damage. And that is exactly what you see happening with King David. Remember, he's a mighty man. He's a warrior. This is the guy who faced giants and took them out. But now something crossed his path that he thought he could handle, and now it's handling him, and he's spiraling out of control. Because that's what damage does when it goes unchecked. Please hear what I'm saying. Once you receive the damage, if you leave the damage unchecked, it will get deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. Now David's in a world of hurt and pain. He's not just done this to himself. He's done this to others. He's not just sinned against himself. He's sinned against God. But God in his mercy and his kindness sends a man named Nathan to talk to David. How many of you are thankful for God's kindness? He doesn't see your damage and say you're damned. He sees your damage and says, I can deal with this as long as you're willing to let me. And so Nathan goes and has a conversation with David. And in that moment, David stops making excuses. Can we please stop making excuses for why we are the way we are and why we do what we do? And just say, you know what, I'm a broken individual and I need healing. Sometimes we make everything about every, everyone else and what they've done to us. And because this person did this in my life, now I've got the right or the excuse to do it. Stop that. David says, you know what? I did it. I sinned against God. And you can read through one of the Psalms what he actually says to God. He begins to pour his heart out before God. God, I messed up. Create in me a clean heart. Renew within me a right spirit. Oh, whatever you do, God, please do not take your Holy Spirit from me. And David goes through this process of repentance that brings restoration. See, sin brings damage, but repentance brings restoration. What is repentance? Repentance is a change of mind. Repentance is a change of position. It's coming back to God and saying, I know what I did, but I also know that you're kind. I also know that you're good. I'm not okay with what I did. I'm not affirming what I did. I'm not accepting what I did. I'm owning it. But now I'm saying I've done too much damage for me to handle, and God, I need you and I need your help to change. I've got these things that tempt me and drive me crazy, and I need your help. I need your mercy. I need you to walk alongside of me. God, I need you to put me into a community of faith with other believers who can help me walk this thing out. And Activation Church, that's who we need to be as a people, is we need to be people who can help other people walk through their brokenness and not reject them because they're broken.
Too many times we want people who come in to assimilate, to look like us, to sound like us, to think like us, to respond like us, to vote like us, and if they don't, we say, get out. But that's not the heart of Jesus. Not if you read the word. Jesus went to the broken. Not to affirm what they were doing, but to love them and show them a better way. That's what being the light is about. It's about loving and showing a better way. Did you know before people start studying scripture, they'll study your behavior? Many times the only Jesus somebody will see is the Jesus in you. The question is, what kind of Jesus are they getting from you? Are they getting the Jesus that shuns or the Jesus that says, come to me? All who are heavy laden, all who are burdened, I'm going to give you rest. Who are they seeing? Activation Church, I'm telling you, we're going to be a place where broken people find restoration because we're willing to meet them in the middle of their brokenness. We're willing to understand that there's a process that comes with healing. You know, we would love for it to happen in a moment, but we've got to understand sometimes there are things that we're going to wrestle with and fight with for years, and, and there are going to be seasons where we find victory, and there's going to be seasons where we fall back, and when we fall back, we can't be so holy that we go, get out of here. We're going to be holy enough to say, hey, I get it. I want to restore you. I want to bring healing to you. And that's what David finds in this moment with God. Yes, you're damaged. Yes, you have damaged others, but you are not damned if you are in Christ. Because Christ Jesus brings restoration and healing and forgiveness to every broken place in our life. Every broken place. Now, if you're not in Christ, that damage leads to death. You need to hear that. This isn't a willy-nilly, do whatever you want, God's so good that you're okay. No, no, no. It is for those who bring their damage to Christ that he says, I will carry it for you. I will take it upon myself and my brokenness will bring healing to you. Watch what the Bible says in Acts, the third chapter, verse 19. It says, repent then and turn to God. Don't run from God when you're damaged. Repent, change your mind, come back to God so that your sins may be wiped out. Isn't it amazing? He, he separates our sins as far as the east is from the west. We may remember, but he doesn't. But it, it's like, I'm not just going to forgive you of your sins. Watch what else is going to happen. I'm going to wipe out your sins, and I'm going to give you times of refreshing that come from me. Times of refreshing that come from from the Lord. What does that mean? When I bring my damage and my brokenness, he doesn't just forgive me. He says, let me partner with you to refresh you, to revive you, and to restore you. Because that's my heart for you. I don't want you living in this cycle of damage. I want you to live in a cycle of joy and peace and strength. And that can only come from me. And if you'll just come to me, I'll partner with you. I'll give you my life. I'll give you my spirit. I'll do whatever it takes to bring you from that brokenness and damage into a place of complete healing. And please hear me, church. That is what Jesus offers you. 
You may not be able to forget your past, but your past damage does not have to determine your future. Because there is a hope and there is a future in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul understood this better than anyone because he came from a lifestyle of killing Christians. I don't know, but I'm just willing to bet that many of you in here have not killed any Christians yet. Maybe one, two. If you did, please don't admit it. <laughs> You're on television. I'm pretty sure there's no statute of limitations for murder. But the Apostle Paul, before he receives Christ, he's killing Christians. He's persecuting the very church that he's going to end up building. Can you imagine the amount of guilt and shame that you would carry? when you realize that you were wrong and all the damage that you've done? I mean, that's a heavy burden. And that's a burden that many of you carry and a burden that I tend to carry sometimes because I remember everything that I've done. I remember the damage that I've caused. And, and although I'm forgiven, although I've got a new life in Christ, I still remember those moments. And if I allow my mind to settle in there and fill my mind with those moments, then I allow that guilt of the damage to settle in. But watch what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians, the third chapter, verse 13, he says, Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. In other words, I have not accomplished everything that I need to accomplish. I'm not perfect. But one thing I do, this is the one thing I get right. This is the one thing, Activation Church, that you need to start getting right. This is the one thing that those who are watching online right now need to start getting right in their life. This one thing I do forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I'm able to move beyond my damage because of what Christ has done for me. I'm able to take my eyes off of where I have come from and set my eyes on where I am heading because of what Christ has done for me. He loved me enough to take my damage. He loved you enough to take your damage when you didn't deserve it. When you were running from him, when you were spiraling out of control, he saw you, he loved you, he sent for you, and he's redeemed you. All your seeing and sending took you in the wrong direction, but his seeing and sending has br brought you close, giving you a place to belong. You know, many of us, we just want to belong. We, we want to fit in. Let me tell you something. The body of Christ is where you can belong. The body of Christ is where you can fit in. And it doesn't matter what color your hair is. It doesn't matter what color your skin is. It doesn't matter how many tattoos you have. It doesn't matter how many earrings you have. It doesn't matter where your earrings are placed on your body. There's room for you here. There's room for you here. Because of what Christ has done. Last week we closed by talking about the blood of Jesus and his broken body. And that's what we remember when we receive communion. The blood that forgives us. He says, when you repent, I cleanse you of your sins. Why? Because of his blood. He has the ability 
through his shed blood to say you are forgiven once and for all. Past, present, and future sin. When you bring it to Jesus, it is all eradicated. And when you do slip into sin, you have the right to come to him with boldness and say, I got it wrong. Father, I'm repenting and I'm turning right back around. And he doesn't go, oh, well, you know, go, go meditate on this a little bit. Go run some laps and think about what you've done. Go to the chalkboard and write, I will not sin against God 100 times. He says, come on back. Why? Because of his blood. But the broken body, somebody say the broken body. The broken body is where I find healing for my damage. Because he doesn't just forgive me through his blood, he brings wholeness to me through his broken body. The Bible says, by his stripes, by his broken body, I'm made whole. This is a reality that we can actually find, church. We can find this place of wholeness, a place of abiding joy, a place of peace that goes beyond understanding, a place of strength when everyone else is falling apart. This morning, as I was getting ready for service, I was praying and I was quoting scripture. And I said, my strength's going to be renewed. Like the eagles. I'm going to run and not faint. I'm going to walk and not get weary. Why? Because I've positioned myself under the blood and I partake of his body, which gives me that right. Please hear, there is a process to this. It's not a one and done. This is a daily thing where I'm learning to feast on the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And the more I do it, and the more I worship, and the more I spend time in his word and in communication with him, the more he moves me into that place to where I start looking and sounding and operating like him. Everything that we do in our flesh brings damage. Everything that Christ did in his flesh brings healing and wholeness. Today, you can either keep on trying to work it out in your flesh and figure it out in your flesh, or you can come to the conclusion that, you know what? I am damaged, I am broken, and I can't do anything about it. So I'm taking it to the only one who can, the one who shed his blood for me the one who puts me back together, the one who heals my broken heart, binds all of my wounds, the one that brings me into that place of abundance. His name is Jesus. And today, he's saying that this is available. That kind of healing is available to everyone who simply responds. Mm -hmm.